Good morning. Wonderful, wonderful to see all of you here. And if you were not here last night for our Christmas meal, you missed some good dressing and a whole lot of other good food too. So if you missed out on that, uh, make sure that you are making plans now to be here for our New Year's Eve event. Uh, which will be, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, brothers, but on Tuesday of New Year's, on the 31st, uh, we'll have our normal Bible study period, but then after that, go downstairs for some fun and fellowship, and then the youth lock-in is uh, going to be following that. So mark your calendars, the year is winding up, a lot of opportunities to be involved and to uh, spend time with one another. Thankful for those making it possible. Last week, we had our early service following the Sunday singing. If you're not attending any of these area-wide singing, such as the youth singing, the first Sunday singing, or the Friday night singing, I would encourage you to check them out. They are very encouraging, and it's always good to spend time with our brethren from other congregations. At the end of last week's song service, I extended the invitation, which is normal, right? Sundays, Wednesday nights, when we get together, we extend the invitation. And as I stood down here and looked around, I thought to myself, this is the most saved group of people I have ever seen. Here I am extending the invitation. I also thought to myself, I don't know why they don't all just sit on the right side of the building. You know, when, if the judgment were to come during worship service, it'd already be over. Most saved group of people I've ever seen at one time. And this is not a commentary on whether we should or should not extend the invitation. That's very important. We want to give people an opportunity every chance we can for them to come forward and respond. That if something is tugging on your heart, that if you want to make a change in your life, and especially if you need to do it in a public forum, then coming forward at that time is the most, most convenient and certainly seems to be the most appropriate as well. But it is a commentary on this. Where are the lost? Where are the ones who need to hear the invitation? Where are those who need to hear the plan of salvation? Where are those who would need to come forward and sit down right up here or speak to me privately or one of the elders or deacons privately afterwards? Because that is also responding to the invitation. But where are the lost? that need to hear it on the first Sunday singing. No doubt there are some that are there. There are some that are there that need to hear it, that need to respond. There are some here this morning who need to respond at the end of this lesson and make a change in their life or be baptized for the remission of their sins. So we're going to talk today about what the lost look like and where are they exactly. On the day of Pentecost, it was easy to spot. Everybody was lost. When Peter was preaching, everybody he looked at needed to respond. And so it was easy then. We live in a different era, however, than the day of Pentecost, of course. We live in a different era even than what we saw within the church from 50 years ago. And therefore, must recognize the landscape so we can maneuver it and reach the lost, reach the world with Christ. The lost is, of course, characterized by anyone who is not following Christ, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men 
by which we must be saved. We're of course, we are of course not the final judge for these people, for those who are outside of Christ. Discussions can be had, scripture can be looked at, we can talk to people about the establishing of the church, the plan of salvation, we can talk to them about faith, about baptism, about grace, we can talk to them about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but ultimately it is up to them to make that decision and ultimately it is up to God, the righteous judge, Decide who will sit on his right and who will sit on his left at the judgment day. Christ, however, has called us all to go out and reach the lost. And in order to do this, we must know where they are and who they are. First off, those who are on the fringe, or you might call them nominal Christians, they are the lost. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. Beginning with verse 57. And going through 62, not 72. There's not that many verses in Luke chapter 9. But the lost can be characterized in this one category of those who are on the fringe, those who have a church background of some sort, but who aren't attending a worship service or being faithful. Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So these people were following Jesus, and one of them came to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you. And he said, Are you sure about that? Because it's not that comfortable. I don't have a nice home I go to every evening. Verse 59. And he said to another, Follow me. But this one said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the, the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Lord, I've got, I've got something else I have to do. I've got to tend to my family, which is certainly important. But Jesus here says, Look, you, you've, got to, you've got to think about the kingdom first, even in regards to your own family. Verse 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So there are people who have made the decision to follow Christ, and in this passage, they're right there with him. They're speaking to him face to face, and they're making these excuses, and Jesus is telling them that excuse isn't what I want to hear. I want you to follow me. And that, that means more than just warming a pew on Sundays, being here for Bible study. It even means more than that. So who isn't here that used to be? Who will be here at Christmas or in January or Easter that probably falls into this category? Who can you invite that considers themselves a Christian but isn't attending anywhere? And I wonder, even thinking back, to the disciples, the original twelve. I wonder if Peter asked, has anyone seen Judas? Has anyone seen him? Where is he? I've been missing. We need to ask that of our own brethren that we're missing this very moment. The person that usually sits with you on the pew, we need to find out where they are and why they haven't been here in some time. Well, these are the easiest to reach. Because they have some church background, which is a good thing. But they are also difficult to reach simply because they aren't coming 
And this habit can be difficult to change. So how do we reach these? First off, we must understand why they aren't coming. So those that, that did come, those that became Christians as children, why don't they come? Many, many reasons can be discussed here. No doubt about it. They have other commitments. Most things could fall into that. They have went astray, found other things that they would rather do, rather believe then. But what about those that are the easiest to reach that could come here, that, but that aren't? I believe it's because they have not found a connection. While they come here seeking Jesus, they have to find him at some level when they walk through the door. And the way that happens is they have to find Jesus in you. Whenever they walk in the door, that's the very first thing that they start looking for when we have a visitor here, is who's going to talk to them. And I love it whenever I see, boom, you know, there's like three people just storming for them. Who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Brother, it's good to see you here. That's good whenever we do greet our visitors in such a manner, but don't knock them down, okay? Greeting someone is the first step in someone becoming connected enough to not want to miss another service. That's crucial. And we have three chances to reach a visitor, basically. Okay, this isn't a hard and fast rule. This is in Opinionations chapter 2, I believe. Okay, so you have three chances to reach a visitor, to get them connected enough to want to come to services on a regular basis. The first time they come, they are checking things out. What's the building like? How's the singing? How's the preacher? I've visited congregations before. I thought about that. Like Scott, when I first came here, was most impressed by the fact that you had a young adult class. Went down there that night, met Jim Reed. Been here ever since. Did anyone speak to me, and how long did it take? When you go to a restaurant, do you realize that within 45 seconds after you sit down, you start looking for the server? About 45 seconds. You know what you want probably before you sit down, but you start looking at the menu, about 45 seconds, you've laid it down, and you start looking around. Where's the server? Similar things may happen here as well. You're not impatient at this point necessarily, but you start to wonder, does anyone know I'm here? When a visitor walks through that door, you have a very short period of time to acknowledge them and introduce yourself, and if all of these things are pleasing... They might come back for a second time. For a second time, they are reaffirming their first visit. But now they are looking a little deeper. They'll probably pick up the bulletin this time. They'll probably watch the screen a little bit more. What's the youth ministry doing? What's the coming year look like? How sincere are these people? Are they really glad I'm here? Do they... Remember my name. Nothing carries more weight than remembering a person's name. It is crucial to meeting people and to building relationships. And if all goes well here, this almost certainly guarantees a third visit where they will ask, do I fit in here? Probably more importantly, do they want me here? What did Jesus do when large crowds followed him? He fed them. And if there's one thing we're good at, it is feeding people. Physically, of course, what I'm talking to, talking about. But we also feed people in other ways, with our youth ministry, with our Bible classes, 
and with our relationships that must be formed here, and it's up to you to make these work. So what else do you do? You understand why they aren't coming. There are people who come here that we can integrate into the congregation, very simply as I just discussed, but then tell them about what we are doing here. Tell them about what is familiar to them and what they would enjoy here. Very few, unfortunately, are looking for the Bible, I would say, which is the true church. They don't know, a lot of times, they don't know to ask that question. They have more immediate needs in a lot of respects, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But while they are here, learning more about the youth ministry, liking the singing, liking the other activities, liking the Bible class, it is our prayer and our goal that while they are here, they will find the Bible, they will find the truth, and they will find their Savior, who can save their souls and save their marriage and save their children and save them for eternity. And invite them. Invite them here. Invite them when you see them. Glad to have you. Have them want to come back. So this would be considered the lost in one category. Another, those in other religions or denominations. This is a large portion of our country and it's tough to reach because they have a belief system already. They're committed somewhere and those roots may run very deep. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18, please. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. In our pluralistic world, a lot of people simply consider the fact that if you've got a Bible in your hand, then you must be preaching the truth. That's not necessarily the case. We should all be looking for and be, be going after the truth. And, and hopefully at this moment right now, all of us here believe in the truth, believe it as we have learned it up to this point. Know that if tomorrow we found something within Scripture that a, a new, not a new gospel that was sent down, but finding Scripture and looking at it, always seeking, always refining, so that we might grow ever closer to Christ. But Acts chapter 18, there's an example here of someone who was preaching Christ, doing a good job, admired for his knowledge of Scripture. But then he wasn't, he wasn't getting something exactly right. Let's look at Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. I hope people would say that about us, about you individually, that you are mighty in the Scriptures. What's that mean? That means you know it. It means you know your Bible. You know how to look at it. You know how to interpret it. You know how to say, you know, this is what Jesus said about that topic, or, or the Apostle Paul. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. You see, John the baptizer came to earth, was born, lived, taught about Jesus, and that's here, that's what he was doing, that's what Apollos was doing. He was still preaching and teaching about John the baptizer. And he began to speak boldly, in the synagogue, verse 26. But when a Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos was working to be sincere. Apollos was working to follow Scripture. But he was willing to sit down with Aquila and Priscilla. They were willing to invite him to sit down, and that's what we must do. Be willing to invite, but also be willing to be invited to have that discussion. Because if I'm not right, if I'm not mighty in the Scriptures, I need to know that. 
I need to know why. I need to know what exactly I'm getting wrong as Apollos did. You see, because his heart was open. He was open to the fact that he might not understand it fully, that he might not understand it completely. And so he learned from that. Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. May our hearts always be open to the truth of God as it is being read through scriptures, as we study it. But may the hearts of others be open to the truth as well. So how do we reach this group? Ask God, first off, to give you a heart for this group. This one can be difficult at times. Let's look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. John and his brother James were fiery, fiery young men. That's probably why Jesus called them. He didn't want men who weren't on fire. He wanted men who would, would take action and who would be strong. Well, he got that in James and John. Let's look and see here what happened. Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But John tried to pick a fight. What you doing casting out them demons? I don't know who you are. See, John, he was with Jesus. He's, he's Jesus' cousin. He's close to him. One of the three that was closest, Peter, James, and John. He knew Jesus. He didn't know this man. What are you doing? Casting out demons indeed. You see, it was somebody else that they did not know that had this power. We don't know a lot about this individual. But John was upset about it. He's telling Jesus about it. We didn't know him. We told him to stop. But Jesus said, do not hinder him. For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Look at John. Look at what he's saying. He was worried over this person doing a good deed. He was jealous. He was a follower of Christ, which John needed to understand was going to happen. We don't know all of the accounts of who Jesus spoke to, of who Jesus taught. Certainly somebody that, that Jesus had met, that learned his teachings, that knew him. But the lesson for us here is that when we encounter someone who believes differently than we do, we often get worried. We get jealous and may even get a little angry. Because unlike the person in Mark 9, they may say they are following Jesus when really they may be teaching error. And that's what gets us all, all worked up a lot of times and may be leading people from Christ, which of course we don't want. But we need to have a heart for this group because their heart is in the right place, trying to reach people. It's, it's where it should be, but, but like Apollos, they're not teaching the truth. They have to be taught maybe something different, maybe more accurately the Word of God. So give a, yourself a heart. Ask God to give you a heart for this group. Next, listen to them. You reach people when you show an interest in them. You can reach people when you find similarities. And then you can talk about your beliefs, which about half of those from other religions say they felt comfortable with, talking to other people about their beliefs. You know, sometimes we, we don't want to talk about that, but we need to. We need to be more open. We need to be sitting at the lunch table talking about television or whatever, whatever you might be doing over the weekend. Talk about the Bible. It's not inappropriate as long as you're polite about it, of course. Don't be rude about it. But listen to people and talk about 
your beliefs. Why do you believe what you believe? How do you know, let me ask you for example, how do you know that the earth rotates around the sun? Well, read it in a history book, read it in a science book. So someone else told you, right? Someone else told you. The same as with a lot of things. We believe it because someone else told us. Our Christian faith must run deeper than this. We must know more than just the words on the page. But we must show how those words make a difference in our lives. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. We've come out of death into life and we are in Christ and that's something we need to talk to other people about. Especially if they are followers of Jesus themselves. If they want to know more about his scriptures, talk to those people. John 4, 41 and 42 says that many more believed because of the word of Jesus. This is the woman at the well, the Samaritan. Somebody who was not possibly very religious at the time. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. See, that's how we must be open to knowing Christ better, but also talking to others so that their beliefs might be strengthened as well. The final category we can call the unchurched. This is the fastest growing preference or religion in America. We have the good news to share, but we must realize that the unchurched are in a different place in terms of their worldview, just like those with different religions are. Their parents or grandparents maybe went to church, but they have gotten away from it. Depending on the heart of the person, this may make them either the best group to work with or the worst group to work with. The best group to try and reach because hearing something for the first time with no preconceived ideas makes them a clean slate. The worst group to reach because there may be no spot for Christ to move in. This group isn't necessarily antagonistic towards Christ. They just really don't think it's for them. So how do we reach this group? Think about other people with no religious preference as a separate religion. People who have concluded that Christianity is not for them. We can't reach them in the same way that we would reach someone that we're trying to come to get back to church because they've never been in the first place. Well, they're oftentimes referred to as the unchurched. So we have to know that they have beliefs that must be understood that might be out of, way out of line with what you think. So building relationships with them is very important. According to a religious research organization, only 13% of unchurched say a visit from a member of a church would be effective in getting them to visit. Only 13%. In other words, if we walk down the street here, Knocked on a door, we did not know only 13% of that group, if we kept going, only 13% would welcome a visit of that sort. However, if that invitation comes from a friend, the response rate triples. So if you're just going and knocking on the door, hey, we're in Burwell's Chapel, love to have you, which is a fine thing to do, don't get me wrong. I've been on many door knocking campaigns with fruit that comes from it. It's a good thing to do. But when you're looking at the ratios here, the statistics, if you've got a friend that's an unchurched individual, hadn't been to church maybe in their entire life, 
you inviting them, there's a close to 50% chance that they'll come. Next, you be the one to bring up the subject and start the conversation. But you can't start at eternity. Someone who has no view of that, no idea of what eternity is, is not going to understand it. Never seen it, never talked about how their soul will go on for eternity. But rather, you have to think about the now. The now in your life. How has Christ affected your now? And that's what you have to tell all of these groups, really. And that's what you need to realize yourself. How has Christ affected me now? And you might not even know that. Not even able to share it. How Christ has affected your now. That's what you've got to start thinking about, though. So that you have something to share. So that you have something to be thankful to God for. That you have that now blessing. So that you can tell others. So that you can share it with your family. And show how Christ has affected your life now. Because the unchurched, they want to know, how is your church, how is it really salt? How is it really light to a dying world? I don't see them doing anything. You see, those that are unchurched, they're worried and thinking about the now. And we should be about the now as well. Is evangelism always something in the distance? Is it only our Honduras trips, which are very important, but it's not only our Honduras trips. Evangelism is our youth group activities. Evangelism is vacation Bible school, our friends and family day. Evangelism is, hey, won't you come to church with me this Sunday? And when invited, you might be surprised at how many people will actually say, sure, I'll come. And that's plant a seed, that gets things started. So what do we do now? Now that you have a little bit better idea of where the lost are and who they are, let's go forward and do something about it. So find the lost in your life and work to reach them, whatever category they might find themselves in. Maybe you've already found the lost. Maybe the lost is you. Maybe you fit into one of these categories in one way or another and you're ready to make a change this morning. The prayers of this congregation can do wonders. Making friendships with people that can encourage you can do wonders to establish your life as a Christian and to make it what it needs to be. The people in Acts chapter 2, those who were lost, those that were easy to find on that day, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized and be added to the body of Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, come forward this morning and we can serve you in that way and you can become a Christian and be added to that wonderful body. Please come forward now while we stand and sing.